Hi, I'm Will Hannafin, and welcome to the brand new summer series of Sure It Was Better. This is the show where our esteemed panel of Pauline McGlynn, Jules Call, and Emer McLeisett trawl through the bulging RTE archives from the last 60 years to see whether life was better or life was worse back in the day. We'll go back to 1972 when RTE asked the people of Dublin the big questions. What is pornography? <laughs> I can tell you. You don't know? No, sorry. Back then, we really had to up our game when we joined the EEC. I, I don't know, I was at a picture last night and I was surprised in the cinema at uh, the language and all this. But I think we'll have to know all those things if we're getting into Europe. The best line of that was, well, we'll need to know about all this now if we want to get into Europe. And in the 1980s, we knew what the bottom line was. I like a bum on a man, so they had some nice bums kind of thing, you know what I mean? They sort of tighten them up and let them loose and all this sort of thing, and I mean, it was quite enjoyable. I like a bum on a man. Yeah. yeah. Um, just was uh, a showstopper for me. <laughs> She's a woman ahead of her time. And where would we be without that old romantic Frankie? I sometimes feel myself succumbing to the feeling that love is a sort of emotional dandruff, an affliction almost universal. That was stern. It really was. Wasn't it? I a was stern a- talk about love. First tonight, rural electrification. It started in Ireland in 1946 and continued until the late 1970s. It needed one million poles, 100,000 transformers and 75,000 miles of line. In rural communities, there was big excitement about getting the electric, as you can hear now from Bancha in 1948, when power was switched on by the local priest, Father John Hayes. We are here tonight celebrating a most important occasion, rural electrification for the parish of Bancha. Tonight, we intend to switch on the lights for this village. And I must say that was your own cooperation and your own enthusiasm that has won for you this great gift that will not merely help you from an economic point of view, but will help too, with God's help, the social life of the parish. Now, we will switch on the lights for Bancha. And here goes in the name of God. And once we had electricity, we had to figure out things to do with it. This is a report from the Ideal Homes exhibition in 1958, 65 years ago. Now this report manages to be surprisingly modern and very backward at the same time. We have forward thinking on insulation, but outdated views on women and kitchens. Have a listen. The Ideal Homes exhibition opens tomorrow at the Mansion House. And for all those housewives who wonder what's new, here's Mr W.A. Convery on the subject of the Ideal Bungalow. The attraction of the exhibition this year is the Ideal Bungalow. And the highlight of the bungalow is the kitchen. And what's new in the kitchen is the oven, which is separate from the cooker top. In other words, the oven is a separate unit and can be placed at the level and in the position to suit the housewife. The house is a timber house and it's insulated with a new insulating material that is made in Ireland. The fact that it's timber and that it's so insulated means that the central heating in the house will give you uh, 60 degrees, 60 to 65 degrees of heat in the house throughout the year, we reckon for £29 a year. This next clip is from October 1983 and it's a programme called Talkback that offered a platform to newly emerging political groups. Here we have the Green Alliance putting forward their ideas. The Green Alliance went on to win its first local authority seat in 1985 and it was the forerunner of the current Green Party. Most of us spend a lot of our life at work. If we're one of those lucky enough to have a job, here we have two questions, the nature of work and the answer to unemployment. We feel that work should be enjoyable and useful. One of our answers to the unemployment figures is an insulation program. Most houses need insulation and a nationwide insulation scheme would not only create employment for thousands of people, but it would also conserve energy. Work should be satisfying and constructive, not just a job to keep people busy and help people survive. These are just some of the basic aims of the Green Alliance. The Greens have a holistic vision of the world's problems, not to be found on either the right or left wing. The Green Alliance offers an alternative to the short-sighted objectives of other political groups who are taking Ireland, and indeed the world, down the road to social, economic and biological disaster. We do not inherit the earth from our parents, we borrow it from our children. The Green Alliance there from 1983. Here we have a hidden gem from July 1973, and it's a jaunty, fun-filled bilingual quiz called 20 Questions. 
broadcast from the splendidly named Fairview Ladies Club. The panel definitely needed 20 chances to get the answer. Have a listen and I'm sure you'll agree. We've asked our audience here at Fairview Ladies Club to suggest an object for the penalty guests. And we'll now draw a name from the hat which we'll research during the programme and we'll then challenge the panel. If the panel fail to find out what the object is, that person will win two pounds. And even if the panel do find out what the object is, that person will still win one pound. The name we've drawn from the hat is Mrs L Quigley, Carlton Road, Marino. While we're researching the object suggested by Mrs. Quigley, let's start our game by telling you that our first object is animal. No. Uh, t- uh, four, f- four feet. Four feet tall. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Is this a household pet? It's not. <laughs> no. no. Is this only seen in the zoo in Ireland? Uh, no. No. Farmyard animal, perhaps? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes? Keep it fucking or a No. Just shows you all you know about it. <laughs> it's not all bull then, is it? A something bull. A something bull. Fair enough, yes, it is. Nine gone. A premium bull. It's not, no. Prize bull. No, no. Eleven gone. A papal bull. An Irish bull. No, 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 no. I'm afraid I'll have to keep you in suspense for the answer until later in the programme. But now let's bring in our very own panel of Pauline McGlynn, Jules Call, and Emer McLeisett with their thoughts on 20 questions. I thought when this started, how did they manage to make this 20 questions quiz format interesting? I was gripped. Me too. Simple times. It was brilliant. Uh, Fabulous. And I have to say, one of the silliest things I've ever heard in my life. Um, (laughs) Very, very silly questions. And uh, we love a quiz though, don't we? It's funny listening to it as well, because a quiz is a perennial favourite. And it's kind of like to do a new kind is almost like creating inventing the wheel isn't it um, which leads us to this fabulous two pound and one pound questions are very very silly indeed they should bring it back I think they should too I love the bilingual aspect of yes. it as well and no, yes. no GDPR back then because they gave out that lady's full name Mrs. and Quigley, address yeah. and she's got the two pounds <laughs> I, I, hopefully we, we'll we'll get to find out if they find out the answer. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> They're very close. They're very close. 20 Questions wasn't the only quiz show back in the day. There are lots of others buried in the RT archives. This one I stumbled upon was called Off the Beat from 1979, hosted by Brendan Balfe and with panellists that included Frank Hall, Hugh Leonard and Bunny Carr. It took itself a lot more seriously. Hello again, time for fun for all the family as Off The Beat takes to the air once again with our regular team captains. Let's welcome back from the Wild West, Mr Hugh Leonard, welcome uh, you. Thank you. Had a good time over there. I had a smashing time. You're wearing a little uh, buckskin shirt and a little uh, string tie. and like a bolo. Hugh's guest, if we may. Yes, we may not have the winning team today, but certainly we have the handsomest team because apart from myself, there's Austin Gaffney, whom oh. I welcome. Oh, thank you very much indeed. Nice to have you along, Austin. Thank you, Brendan. You know, you have a rough idea how to play the game, haven't you? I haven't, no. Well, it's a rough game, as you'll find out as we go along. <laughs> so, uh, Hugh and Austin Gaffney playing against Frank, whom we've just met there earlier interjecting. And perhaps, Frank, you care to introduce your guest. I will indeed. And in, in, in contrast to the swashbuckling style of Mr. Leonard, I'm going to do it very modestly and just say my guest is Bunny Carr. Here, here. <laughs> 
Here that's all that needs to be said. What do you do, Bunny? Are you are you working um, these days? Oh. Well, as little as possible for as much as possible. Fine. Uh, much it's tough, uh, isn't it? About the opposite <laughs> to you, I would say. You know. Well, it's nice to have you, in, uh, particularly in the contestants' chair for a change, yes. Bunny. So let's hope you do well with uh, with Frank Hall. Mm. That's the You're not the team. Are you? Yeah, not not, not just no. now. You've <laughs> got to keep asking me going. that, Brendan, if you want to succeed. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, a big welcome not to, to the Jim Doherty trio, but today the musical director, raconteur and arranger for our particular session is Noel Keelahan. Welcome, Noel, and oh. the boys. Very nice, too. And our star vocalist, Des Smith. Hello. Mm. Hiya, Desi. A crowded show, isn't it? And Geraldine here by my side, who will keep an eye on the score. Let's go straight away, then, to round number one, a live round with our band here, called Musical Portraits. And the idea here, four tunes that should suggest a well-known painter or artist. Let's go to Hugh Leonard. Here's one for you, please. Whenever we kiss, I worry and wonder Your lips may be near, but where is your heart? I think it's a Toulouse-Lautrec <laughs> Moulin Rouge. Of course, it's the Moulin Rouge theme, Where Is Your Heart, from uh, Toulouse-Lautrec is the correct answer for five points for Hugh. <laughs> This next clip is from 1957 and it features the late Michal O'Hare, the original voice of Gaelic games, who commentated from 1938 until 1985. Now, present-day broadcasters, listen up. Do requests and shout-outs while you're waiting for the throw-in. Michal O'Hare did these requests during the 1957 All-Ireland Football Final in Croke Park featuring Cork and Louth, which was famously won by Louth. Listen out for poignant requests from heartbroken parents, including one request for a 16-year-old girl who had already emigrated to the United States. And down Wicklow Way and in Offaly, they're thinking today of a son in the American forces in Karlsruhe, Germany, just as an aged father in Thurlis has thoughts today especially for his son in Vegas, Switzerland. Turning westwards, we span the broad Atlantic to the wonderful city of New York. We're looking forward to meeting next month our friends in our home from home in the Park Sheraton and in Shraps in Times Square. Through WNYC, perhaps awfully footballer Paddy Casey and his pal Dennis are looking forward to a word of greeting from their Eden Derry, Clonmore and Redmond's Hill friends. Early this year, that wonderful runner from Louth, Peter McArdle, went to America and dozens of people have written to ask us to say hello, which we do now to a man who helped put Louth on the sporting map in his own particular sphere. From Glengariff Parade within Hale of Croke Park come greetings to two boys who hope to journey from Winchester Avenue, Chicago to New York just to hear the game. Out in Elmont, Long Island, and at Woodside, groups of Irish folk are linked with their homes and friends in Cholester and Cowper Street. Just as a family in Val, County Mayo, sends greetings to East 206th Street, New York. To the daughter and grandchildren of O'Donovan Rossi in Staten Island, New York, we send salutations from Skibbereen. Dan O'Neill, the loud midfielder, sends his best wishes to his brother and family in New York. And by the way, if you're with us out there in Brooklyn, especially a 16-year-old girl in 301 61st Street. Greetings to you from your mother in Clara County, Offaly, just as a similar message goes from Mohill to Academy Street, Manhattan, and another to 1411 Madison Avenue from Richmond Road. And oh yes, there's a gang standing there in the old familiar spot under the Cusick stand today. They've got Butler's Bridge connections, and they're sorry that those folk in 93rd Street, Jackson Heights are not with them as usual today. Francis Meehan in Rhodesia will be glad to know that his brother Jim is playing well for loud today. It's time now for an RT Vox Pop from 1972 when the people of Dublin were asked if they knew what pornography was. What is pornography? Uh, pictures of people in the nude, isn't it? What is pornography? <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't tell you. You don't know? No, sorry. Ask me. What is pornography? Uh, oh, I thought, uh, photographs. Yes, there's not enough censorship on it here, I think. I, I don't know. I was at a picture last night and I was surprised in the cinema at uh, the language and all this. But I think we'll have to know all those things if we're getting into Europe. There's a lot of it, all right. There's a lot of it going around. I have just been reading it here. Wow! Following on from that Vox Pop, we have an episode 
of the show Newsbeat, which was broadcast first in April 1971, presented by Michael Ryan. The focus was on comic books from that era, which contained erotic themes. You could be prosecuted for selling these comics in the UK, not in Ireland, as we find out. Today, there are on general sale hundreds, perhaps thousands of books, the sale of which would have been unthinkable a few short years ago, in a country which enhanced the reputations of some of its finest writers by banning them. Attitudes to the new trend vary. These books, depending on how you view them, may be innocent, factual, broad-minded, permissive, pornographic or downright dirty. It can be said that these books have always been sought and one way or another were made available. All that has changed is that we parade our permissiveness much more. Some are told that permissiveness has merely ceased to be a class privilege. So what does it matter? And to some, it still does. Now, when I was a child, we were brought up to believe that modesty was a virtue, purity was essential, impurity was a sin, I never hear the word sin mentioned nowadays in connection with sex. It's freedom, anything goes, doing your thing. There are now more channels of communication pouring their influence over you than ever before. Television, radio, theatre, cinema, magazines and newspapers. And as some see it, in television there's a commie behind every camera. In the cinema, nudity is now normal and foreign teenage magazines blithely advise our children to go on the pill, each drawing us away from our traditional values. A constant bombardment of the senses, telling us what to think, how to live. In Denmark, every legal sanction against pornography was lifted about two years ago. The effects were described by one source as downright socially redeeming. Demand for pornography immediately declined, indicating that it is scarcity that gives it its value. So far as protesters are concerned, the limit is reached when it gets to children and particularly when it's designed for young people. And erotica and perversion now even reach into children's comics. Under British law, you can be prosecuted for selling these comics. Here, there's no such law. Dr David Thornley, the Labour Doyle deputy, is trying to put a stop to them. Well, it's, it's quite widely on sale in the centre of Dublin, quite a number of shops, one in particular. Uh, magazines of this kind here, you know, some of them devoted to sex, equally some devoted to horror and violence, and also some pleasant kind, cannibalism, headhunting, this sort of thing. And uh, obviously magazines, by their price and by the general low quality of their publication, which are designed for children's consumption. I want to make very clear to you that I am only concerned with the effect these things, which are designed specifically for children, may have. I'm not looking for any tightening up of the censorship regulations as far as adult literature is concerned. Despite his campaign, Dr Thornley hasn't got very far. These comics are still on sale in Dublin. We found them in Amiens Street and here in the city centre, where the proprietor, when challenged, said he would continue to sell them because he wasn't breaking the law. Sex, sadism and even suburban cannibalism are on sale here. Let's hear what the Sure Was Better panel of Pauline, Jules and Emer think of that report. Wow. The best line in that was, well, we'll need to know about all this now if we want to get into Europe. I know, it reminded me of, of in the 90s, I remember. Was it the 90s? Eurotrash used to yes. be on Channel 4 and it was, I mean, as standards today go, it wasn't that risque, but for the time it was. And it was like, well, this is what they're up to in Europe, yes. not here in Ireland. But it was actually kind of scary and dark listening to some of the language used there mm. and I was like is it any wonder Ireland got into some of the or you know has some of the dark past that it has given True. the attitudes there were towards you know sin and sex and the pill and this this talk about per- permissiveness it was all a bit dark staying pure and, um, yeah. and virtuous yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. mind you um, in uh, the earlier part of, of that um, this is what we'd be taking on if we were joining Europe you know people in the nude but the <laughs> <laughs> the young lad laughing nervously, I thought, and saying that he didn't know what porn was. Mm, I'm, I'm not sure I believed him. Um, no, never <laughs> heard of really it. Never not. heard of it. What is that? You know, the, the language used as well, downright dirty. Yes. Um, unthinkable, <laughs> you know, rather than modesty and purity. Yeah. And uh, um, I am very shocked, though, that um, uh, I never knew that there was um, porn targeted at children. Available on Amien Street, by the way. Um, um, at least and uh, and that there was no law against it I, I really had no idea although there's part of me going was it aimed at children or was this just kind of a moral panic yeah. about you know anything that's animated or drawn has to be for children when in fact it wasn't aimed at children at all it was just just because it was a comic sure. just because it was a comic book yeah. you know I don't know yeah. but I mean obviously mm-hmm. nobody wants porn aimed at children but got that whole yeah. thing and that was the early 70s which I know I mean was 
was God how many years ago now I know it was always 30 years in my head in my head it's 30 years yeah that's yeah it's It's 50 50. it's 50 years ago but still just very very kind of you know a commie behind every camera kind of gave me I enjoyed that yeah (laughs) yeah yeah extraordinary isn't it This is a clip from an edition of Liveline back in 1986, presented by the late Marion Finucan, which caused quite the controversy. We hear from a couple who are regular viewers of pornography. I can't wait for this. <gasps> sale of video nasties or porn videos has featured prominently in the media in recent time. And indeed, the question of video nasties and their influence on young children in County Wexford was covered by us on the programme two weeks ago. However, the screening of porn videos raises its own collection of moral and ethical questions. And there's no doubt that they're not only popular, but also readily available in under-the-counter transactions in many video shops throughout the country. One married couple whose first names are Annie and Dick are regular viewers of porn videos. They watch a porn movie at least once a week and they claim that it not only helps their sex life but that they have a perfect right to watch these videos in the first place. Last Friday they spoke to Colm Keane firstly about the latest film they saw. In this particular movie they showed the men you know their penises whereas some other movies you find they don't show them so much do you know what I mean? They show the women all the time and it's not very exciting for a woman watching that all the time you know. On this movie, well, we've had some good movies lately where they did show penises and we went to liberty to get that to please both of us. And, you know, in this particular movie, they had men doing stripping. And so the men sort of, you know, I like a bum on a man. So they had some nice bums kind of thing. You know what I mean? They sort of tightened them up and let them loose and all this sort of thing. And I mean, it was quite enjoyable. And the women in the movie were, you know, enjoyed sex. They laughed at it. It wasn't like as if it was a, a cruel act and a sort of violent act. Do you know the way most, um, most people anyway put sex with violence? You know what I mean? This wasn't a bit like that. And I don't win for movies with violence. I like sex to be enjoyable, fun and pleasurable, not uh, violent at all. Tell me, are there any special types of films that turn you on even more? Well, not necessarily, but most of these videos cater for a range of tastes within limits. There's usually a set of different cameos within each video catering for different, probably, tastes. In my own case now, I find myself very attracted to the um, situation whereby you get a repressed female with glasses, say, and hair pinned up and severe clothing, who then finds herself in a position where she can let herself go and where she sheds these inhibitions and emerges as a fully-fledged sexual human being and indulges in various sexual activity. Uh, from Frank in Southside, thinks it's, it's the most indecent thing he's ever heard on radio, wants to protest strongly to RTE. It's filthy, very indecent, the worst thing he's ever heard in his life. He only listened to the first few minutes. It was so indecent. Don Leary caller rang in to say she disgusted. They must have no religion. Uh, male caller objections. The programme feels the material is perverted. The caller wants to know what is the reason for bro- for broadcasting is. Well, it, well, as I said already, it is to alert people to the fact that it's there. We've Patricia on the line now. Hello Patricia. Hello. Um, I just want to say that a lot of people will probably see no difference between um, sex and obscenity, you know, in what the couple were talking about earlier on. Brian Kelly in Terenure thinks it's time we covered this type of thing. He saw one just to see what it was like and it turned him off so much that he never wanted to see one again. These are the porno uh, videos. He's really surprised the churches haven't been screaming from the rooftops about this, the utter destruction. Uh, Mrs Harris in Dublin, uh, she says, I'm married. I saw a hardcore uh, porn movie. I'm not a prude, but I think they're very crude and videos might pressurise people into doing something against their will. The church should speak out strongly on their views about about this and whether or not it should be allowed. Um, after 20 years of marriage, to him, sex would have to be part of something, says this caller from Walkenstown, a type of oneness. It shouldn't be something for a Friday night. Well, that caused quite a stir, didn't it, Pauline, Jules and Emer? Well, I hope the likes of Frank and Patricia and Brian, I don't know if they're around to know about the likes of Pornhub and OnlyFans because I don't know if their hearts could take it. <laughs> low religion. Did you hear that? Yeah. They must be and I, low I religion. I can't believe that that couple were called Annie and Dick. Yeah, very enjoyable. Um, you honestly couldn't make it up, could you? <laughs> yeah, I like a bum on a man. Yeah. yeah. Um, it just was a showstopper for me. <laughs> She's I, a woman ahead of her time. Yeah, I loved the idea that Annie was getting her 
kicks. Yeah. And, and at the very start, yeah. she kind of said she wasn't really into the kind of exploitative nature of porn against women. Because oh. she said, yes. you know, they show the women, they don't show the men. And I like when they show the men. And then, of course, Dick had to come in and say he likes a repressed female. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh but the reaction oh. from the callers was absolutely priceless, wasn't it? Like the uh, the shock and the horror. I mean, well, Brian, I, I love the way he, he said um, he just watched one just to be <laughs> certain of what, you know, to be sure. he was dealing with. For research. Um, Mm, again, like like the the lad that was laughing nervously, saying, "I don't know what porn is." Mm. Mm, I feel that Brian maybe um, you know has watched or did watch more than the one, just to be sure. Just to um, be sure that he, he he knew what he was giving out about. It oh, mean, it, this was this was uh, 1986, I think, which was about four, you know, just under 40 years ago. But and you're like, oh Jesus, that you know that's so old fashioned the way people are talking. But remember, a couple of years ago when we had normal people, and there was yes. now the reaction was a little bit more modern I suppose it wasn't as like you know we should never be watching these video nasties but like I bet in another 40 years if there's three other biddies sitting around (laughs) talking about (laughs) clips and they're listening to the normal people reaction they'll be saying the same stuff very true yeah yeah true here's a follow on debate from another 1986 Liveline programme which featured a video shop owner with challenging views and afterwards we hear the sure twas better panel reaction there was a lot of criticism obviously of those who rent out uh, the videos and we had one caller uh, who's on the line now James who owns a video library and rents them out Uh, James you were critical of the panel yesterday when you were on the phone yesterday um, talking to whoever answered the phone that you said sex videos don't include violence maybe mock rape scenes well um, that would be I would imagine about the worst aspect I would imagine that I have seen um, might perhaps be a, a mock rape scene but it would be um, there would be absolutely no aggression in it it would be very very obvious that it was purely poor acting perhaps rather than sort of uh, I'm anxious I, I find it very hard to understand how a rape scene mock or otherwise can exist without violent overtones. Well, you see, again, you see, uh, you're in the same boat as these other people that you had in your programme yesterday. You really don't know what you're talking well, about. Well, Nora Woods deals with the victims. She works in the sexual assault unit in the Rotunda. She does know what she's talking about well, when I she talks about children that I'm have been abused. Does not. I'm afraid she does not. She's confusing films like I Spit on Your Grave. Now, for instance, we'll discuss that film maybe because it's the best illustration that I can sort of think No, I, I, I want to come well, back to the notion... Well, you want the, the way that you want No, I want you to tell me how a mock rape scene is not something violent. Uh, right, well, uh, it would be an, enacted in a certain way as sort of um, a lady being maybe an unwilling participant or indeed in certain cases a male, but uh, within a certain length of time becoming stimulated and agreeing to, in, uh, to, uh, to um, enter into the... Um, um, scene. And you don't think that's degrading? Um, it's equally de- degrading for men as for women. So do two wrongs make a right? Um, I feel that you're sort of completely twisting the thing around to make the point that you want. Pauline, Jules, Emer. Fair play to Marion there. She's yeah. kind of um, hitting the nail on the head of where the line is, I think, between, you know, porn that is harmless and, you know, good for healthy relationships between whoever's having the relationship and what is damaging and, you know, shouldn't be. And I mean, it's still the same today, I think, as violence in porn is a really big issue. Yeah, uh, well, that's the most disturbing thing, I think, about listening to that is that this could be now, 2023, and not back in whatever the 70s or 80s. 
um, that I found that really a difficult listen. Yeah, yeah. and a bit about where he said it, it was just poor acting. So that was the the difference. Yeah. It's like, oh, what? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Aren't all mock rape scenes acting? Yeah. I mean, nobody should be watching them for treasure or otherwise. Really, mm-hmm. it's yeah. I think the one of the things that gives it away that it might not be modern day, although you wouldn't know, is the fact that he called uh, the doctor a lady doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yes. Yeah, and it was mentioning ladies in general. Yeah, yeah. and um, yeah. So oh, curious, curious thoughts that that video shop owner yeah. had. Yep. Upsetting. Very upsetting. I think it's time for a breather after that. Let's have a listen to a vintage ad break. And I'll bet you'll feel the need to buy sweepstake tickets and take a long bath afterwards. Does anybody remember Bernie Mastervision out there? We'll be back in less than two minutes. The closing date for the next Irish sweep has been extended. So there's still time to make sure of your chance of winning that £200,000 super prize on December 21st. Act now. Remember, Irish sweep tickets make most acceptable Christmas gifts. Cash in on Bernie MasterVision's great new winter offer. Rent a new TV and get up to £30 for your old set. Plus four weeks free viewing. Plus no deposit. Plus rentals from only 44 pence a week. Rent your new TV. Just a little longer, Mammy. No, no, out of the bath now. Oh, my, you're getting heavy. I can hear my back creaking. Now it's your turn to warm the winter out of your bones in a soothing Redox bath. Redox eases away aches and pains, soothes away fatigue. Remember, relax in a Redox bath tonight. Redox. In packets, or if you prefer, New liquid redox. Shine those shoes with nuggets. They come up fire with nuggets. Tan on navy, black or brown. Nugget shine is the best in town. Always reach for nuggets for the shiniest shine around. Keep winter outside with the ESB warm home plan. Clean, efficient central heating that's economical to install and run. Get all details in the ESB warm home plan booklet. Free from your nearest ESP shop. Ah, oh, the jingles. They don't make them like they used to. They and really where are all those know, beautiful voiceover people? Oh, incredible. Do you remember Radox <laughs> when you used I to put suspect. it into the bath and it would be all like grainy at the bottom and it wouldn't melt in? Yeah. <laughs> well, it was available in liquid even then. <laughs> you know, should you have the problem with the radio? I, I suspect that, that um, the, the sexy voice of Radox was Larry Gogan. Oh. Um, do you think? Yes, I I do. Um, and I agree, the jingles. And honestly, they are not writing them like that anymore and they should be. I was uh, wondering... Just fantastic. I was wondering, did I mishear that that name of the shop or possibly a person was Bernie Master Vision? I was like, wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> and was this sweep back in the day? Is that the equivalent of the lottery? Did you buy a sweep ticket? Yeah. Yeah, possibly. We were big on sweep tickets, yes, in, in our house, I have to say. And they really were a great gift to give. You know, like you give scratch cards to people now, um, you know, for their birthday or Christmas. But the sweep was a huge thing. Yes. £200,000 seems like a massive prize in 1978. Like, yes. that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money today, yeah. let alone in 1978. Yes, what I'd about um, happy with it today. 44p <laughs> a week to rent a TV. Renting a TV, is that what they did? <laughs> I think so, yeah, a lot of renting, a lot of higher yeah. purchase. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. From yeah, Bernie Master Vision. Sure. Oh, wow. What a name. <laughs> the glamour. <laughs> Here's another Vox Pop now from 1991, and it's the eve of our vote to ratify the Maastricht Treaty in Ireland. Tense times and more stress from Europe, leading to some very forward thinking perspectives from people on the street. I constantly I feel tired anyway, but I do think people are charged far too much and the pressure of the whole Christmas scene is just ridiculous. Women in particular seem to be charging far too much. And I think working from nine to five and coming home and having to cook and look after children and this sort of thing would, is, I personally couldn't, couldn't deal with that at all. I would think some of it is to do with the stress that people suffer in their daily lives. And a lot of it is to do with their environment, work environment. I would think that's my opinion on it anyway. And I think there is a change in lifestyle and I think people are really under a great deal of more pressure than they were before. So I, I think that would have a bearing on it because they feel they're always 
on the go, always moving. They don't really have time to stop and just relax during the day. And I think in the future it's even going to get greater with 1992 and uh, all that, you know, it's, 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 it's even going to get a hell of a lot greater, I think. I think now that we're moving into Europe and um, you know, things are obviously changing in Ireland, uh, that we have to move at the times and uh, where we had a very relaxed, easy pace uh, a few years back, I think that's not on anymore. And I think it's all to do with materialism. Riches. We've got too much to do, too much money to spend. So you think but it's an amalgam of a lot of things? It's an amalgam of a lot of things, but I think basically, as far as women of over 40, it's menopausal. With people in general, it's because we've got too much money to spend. We're racing to spend it, get all the material things that the neighbour has, and the new car, and the children in private schools, and new clothes, and they're running into town, they're shopping around. Simpler lifestyle, get out in the country, get fresh air, go for long walks, get away from your, your own little semi-D in the, in the city for the weekend, get out and walk. I wonder what our panel makes of that. Some of that felt almost prophetic. It was yes. like, it's only going to get worse. <laughs> That's yeah. 30 years Materialism ago. Materialism and Europe. Ooh, Before. Europe. And, and 1992 looming. Yeah. I mean, uh, they were not looking forward to 1992. I remember oh. <laughs> I remember years ago, probably in 1992, Zig and Zag had a song about 1992 and they were like in a European love groove. <laughs> <laughs> So that's like 1992, but this is before the looming internet even came to distract us and everybody was stressed, wrecked, working nine to five. Okay, what have we improved on that? Okay, we've got hybrid working now. The four day week is coming in slowly but surely. But everyone is more stressed than ever. Nobody has any time and everyone's burning out. Mm. (laughs) So, I mean, I think you could be listening. That could have been today we were listening to almost and they're talking about menopausal women. Nothing there has changed. Yes. It was actually great to hear them talking about it back then. Yeah. Yeah, moved to the countryside and take walks you know it honestly could have been uh, 2023 it really could that they were saying it and we can't blame the internet for stress then Europe is still wrecking us I mean you Mm -hmm. can't even think about Europe and she you're wrecked they're all go (laughs) (laughs) we're exhausted with the digitisation of many of the RTE archives thousands of new gems are being discovered and among them are new episodes of Dear Frankie for the uninitiated Dear Frankie was an agony aunt with a weekly radio programme which ran for 22 years. She attracted up to 100 letters a week at the peak of the programme. Indeed, the Dictionary of Irish Biography described her as follows. Forthright in her judgments, she bluntly admonished the foolish or self-deluding. Her clipped, decisive diction and distinctive voice, deep, dark and husky, reinforced her image as a trustworthy, knowing confidant, kindly, if firm, worldly wise but unjaded, who brooked no nonsense but had one's best interests at heart. Let's take a listen to Frankie. Yay! Fab. Fantastic. That was our panel. They definitely approve. I sometimes feel myself succumbing to the feeling that love is a sort of emotional dandruff, an affliction almost universal, which responds to treatment by getting even worse. Let me read you a fairly typical letter to show you what I mean. It comes from a girl in the south of Ireland. Dear Frankie, is it possible to love a boy after going with him twice? Because I think I'm in love with this boy. He's 18 and I'm 17. The first time I met him was at a dance and I think he's the nicest boy I've ever met. The next time I went out with him, I think I loved him even more. And then he went to work in a town miles away from me and I didn't see him before he went away. What I want to know is this. Do you think I should get his address from friends? Or would it be better to forget about him? Now, I suppose this girl and many like her get an amount of emotional pleasure from imagining themselves being carried along on the deep, strong, irresistible current of love. Plainly, there is very little I can say to a letter of this kind and very little need to. This will pass. Please don't think me unkind or patronising for saying so. But it's true. It will pass. It's one of the hazards of being grown up, knowing that such things will pass and having to commit the unforgivable crime of saying it. But wouldn't it make you wonder what's happened to the whole concept of love when young people reach for it the second time someone gives them a friendly look? Now, I very much doubt that the real thing could pass unrecognised. At all events, I hope not. What I mean is that by constantly banding love about in the way I've mentioned, one is in greater danger of accepting a substitute before they've ever begun to realise what the original is all about. I know this sounds all very confusing, I suppose. But there's a sentence in that letter from that young girl which crops up in one form or another 
with alarming frequency these days. Is it impossible to love a boy after going with him twice? Now, what does this mean? Is love the new substitute for tablets? Does it have to give you a lift in seconds? Is it not love if it doesn't break some sort of speed record? And why the insistence on speed? Now, I'm not so ancient that I can't appreciate how this girl must be feeling. She's finding herself in a very interesting situation at present. In fact, I envy her just a little. At 17, it's not unlike unwrapping a Christmas present. It should be just a little. It should be exciting. It should be a feeling of June bursting out all over, even if it happens to be August or even December. But so many girls nowadays behave as if the boyfriend is leaving town, even when he isn't, that I feel this comment is valid in many cases. Love may be unrepeatable, but it's not this week's unrepeatable bargain. If you must buy now, you'll have to pay later. So take it easy, girls. Take it easy, girls. Wow. I'm a bit wrung out after that. Yeah. She, you know, that was stern. It really wasn't was. It? I a was stern on a, talk about love. I was on a roller coaster of agreeing and disagreeing with Frankie the whole way through that. I was like, mm. maybe it is love. But then again, Frankie's probably right. She is only 17. <laughs> this will pass. Yeah. I was like, oh, Frankie, you've forgotten what it's like to be young. And I was reminding, because uh, I kept all my own teenage diaries and before the internet and Snapchat and social media when you could track people down. If you had an address for a boy, you wrote him a letter. I used yeah. to write to their schools. <laughs> I did. I was oh, listen, I was a teenage maniac. But yeah, that's what you did back in the day. You fell in love with, not even on the second date, on the first. You wrote to their mm-hmm. schools. I did. That is classic. I, oh, yeah. This is gently stalking them. I. This is fantastic. I kind of, um. I kind of <laughs> suspected from the off that Frankie was was going to go off on one because she she referred to love as emotional dandruff and then a great yeast. Yeah. Neither of which are really that romantic. No. Mm, true. True. I keep all my promises on this program. Remember the show Twenty Questions from earlier. Here's the answer you were all waiting for. Oh yeah, the bull. Ah yeah. An Irish no, bull. No, 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 oh, no. Does, does this, um, is it a special breed of bull? It is, yes. Yeah. A breed of Chardonnay. That's it, yeah. Oh, go on. Here's another brain teaser from 20 Questions from the Fairview Ladies Club back in 1973. The next object, Tasha Shaw, me and and after the bull, we have the bulldozer. All scartera at Agwinganish, Tashi Mean Rule, Agus Piganin Clown Doyle. Bull wall. It's not the bull wall. But I presume it's not Shirley Hockey either. No. 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 Pop Winchaganig Leshen Vocal Bull. Bull. Object. A stone, stone object. object is not, it's not sharp. Yeah. But it, this is something you drink, isn't it? Oh no, you wouldn't drink it. Carol, I have it. Count of wine, gone and talk, mad I know. Yeah. A bull something. Count of wine. Bull is the first syllable of it. Oh, fair enough, it is, yeah. A bullfight. A bullfight. A bullfight, no, it's not a bullfight. A bullseye. A bullseye, no, it's not a bullseye. <laughs> A bull ring. <laughs> no, not a bull ring either. I never saw a bull ring. Gone. I don't even have telephones. Yeah. <laughs> the word bull is in the... In the <laughs> at the beginning of the... Of the uh, a tooth and knuckle. A tooth and A bull's... Uh, and we had a bull's eye. No. Yeah, yeah. 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 And you know, fuck one, then... Fuck a one, I was on top of mad, I know. A bullet. It's not a bullet, no, but very good. Oh, it, no, no, it's not very good. It couldn't be... Uh, the bull wouldn't make this by any chance. Oh, no. <laughs> I told you you did. I told you you didn't get milk from it. <laughs> and stop calving. No, but by no chance, whatever, Sean. No. No. <laughs> this bull is a one. Yeah, chance of it. Yeah. Bull rush. It's not a bull rush. Yeah. Twelve gone. A cow slip. I won't challenge you with that one, This is mineral, you said. Uh, mineral, August Begonin, Plan Duil. Is this something you'd have around the house then? <laughs> if you would not, no. It's a bulldozer. <laughs> it is. Let's hear from Pauline Jules and Emer again. By the way, contact me by emailing sure at rte.ie if you recognise anybody from any 
of these clips. God, I was screaming at the radio nearly. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Once again, great. The hilarity. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, the audience found some of those answers so funny and I'm I'm still <laughs> bewildered. This is a quiz. I, I'll say it again. This quiz has got to be brought back. Absolutely. Uh, I'd listen. It's yeah. mad. Yeah, the lady's shrieking with <laughs> yeah. laughter in the background. I mean, yeah. one woman there was having the time of her life. <laughs> Speaking of ideas that need to be revisited, how about an All-Ireland Trawl for the Best Talking Budgie? It was done back in 1958 and was called the All-Ireland Talking Budgie Competition. I love the way the budgie gets their full name and address read out in this clip. Cute. Let's be having you, Polly Devlin. That was entry number six in our All-Ireland Talking Budgie competition. It was Polly Devlin of Wards Terrace Longford, entered by its owner, Paddy Devlin. For more of this sort of thing, listen tomorrow night at 11 o'clock to City Newsreel when you'll hear some birds from Dublin. Things poetic now as we hear the remarkable story of a woman who had a relationship with Patrick Kavanagh and we hear a rendition of his poem In Memory of My Mother. In Julian Vignol's documentary My Mother and the Poet, we have the story of Deirdre, who'd had an affair with Patrick Kavanagh, as she related it to her daughter. What poem of his do you like the most? The one he wrote about his mother. In Memory of My Mother. Mm. 160. Will I read that? Do. Will you read it? Yeah, I hope yeah. I can. No, I don't think I'm... A great reader, especially when I haven't anything rehearsed. Oh yes, this is the one that I read. In memory of my mother. I do not think of you lying in the wet clay of a Monaghan graveyard. I see you walking down a lane among the poplars on your way to the station. Or happily going to second mass on a summer Sunday. You meet me and you say, don't forget to see about the cattle. Among your earthiest worlds, the angels stray and I think of you walking along a headland of green oats in June so full of repose so rich with life and I see us meeting at the end of a town on a fair day by accident after the bargains are all made and we can walk together through the shops and stalls and markets free in the oriental streets of thought Oh, you are not lying in the wet clay, for it is a harvest evening now, and we are piling up the ricks against the moonlight, and you smile up at us eternally. This certainly struck a chord with Pauline, Jules and Emer. Well, I have to say, I thought her delivery of that was absolutely gorgeous. Yes, she superb. sold herself yeah, short. Yeah. Mm. Because sometimes, you know, when poets in particular read their own work, it can be disastrous. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, uh, she really was the right voice, wasn't she, um, for that poem? Um, I, I, it's a brilliant ad, if you like, for poetry yeah. and normal normal people loving poetry and, and why you wish that more people did read it um, yeah. aloud. I was kind of struck as well because this woman obviously had had a relationship with Patrick Kavanagh. I mean, did she know his mother or she obviously maybe had some insight into how he felt about her, even though the poem gives us a lot about how he felt. I remember studying that poem in school. I think when you're studying something like that, especially as a teenager, you're like, oh, I have to do this now. Mm. What does he mean by that? And I don't know. And hearing it again there, I'm much more struck by it. I remember the words of it, but it just, it means a lot more. Yeah. Isn't it amazing what comes with the maturity? of when you're a teenager like that but then with life experience and when you hear it and especially with her delivery and everything the impact that it can have because it, it's an incredible poem Yeah, beautiful And here's Patrick Kavanagh himself speaking on Telefish Aaron back in 1962 He's explaining what it takes to be a poet He believed that following a serious illness back in 1955 he was reborn as a poet Recently a man was presented to me as being a great poet He often had and he introduced us said, oh, can you tell me to know the language That was a soul but I was able for it. I said, I can't bowl like a cow, but I know a cow if I saw one. A poet is born not made is a well-known saying, but this does not mean that he was a poet the day he was physically born. By many a good looking day, I wrote hard at first time, but I would say that as a poet was born in Iran, and he 
It's my belt being the aforesaid banks of the Grand Canal. Arts Council and the like love to believe in the poet as a simple singer piping down the valley's wild. And Shelley said that poets were the real legislators of the world people's rights. Or they may not have fully understood his rightness, a poet and original who inspires millions of copies. Education consists of the copy of a good model. Yeah, I, I got that he, um, and I, I think he, he's right, like that, um, you know, poets are the real legislators of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that is true, but yes, it's very difficult to understand. Yeah, I think um, he was talking a lot was about, talking about poets being born and not made and whether or not he agrees with that. But it did bring to mind a little bit of sometimes you'll see a news report of a, a man from Kerry talking about something and, mm. and you're like, hmm, yes, I'm not exactly sure what's going on here, but I, I know some of the words. <laughs> But, um, just some of them. I mean, I don't think Kavanaugh well, was reading a poem there, but it still sounded quite poetic, whatever true. he was saying. Yeah. Okay, Pauline, Jules and Emer, it's been quite a roller coaster on tonight's show. Everything from Bernie Mastervision to award-winning Talking Budgies. The big question is, was it better or was it worse back in the day? What do you think? So I'm looking kind of back, inclined to say, yeah, that things were actually better simply because you know you had uh, Patrick Kavanagh talking about how poetry is so important, which I think it is. I mean, uh, the radio quiz was a total success. Uh, Frankie was on on the radio giving um, advice, whether it was wanted or not, about love, and um, Europe was looming. <laughs> I, I I think it was a very uh, hopeful time um, somewhat um, I think it was better then I'm inclined really? to agree with you on some points Pauline I think some of the pearl clutching about porn was maybe a little bit too much but some of it I mean the 1991 chat about how people's lives are too busy I mean as we said could have been today I really enjoyed the ad yeah. breaks the idea of a liquid radox was lovely <laughs> <Yeah>. and <laughs> I love a quiz oh yeah bring back 20 <laughs> questions absolutely and mad to think that it's taken 50 years for our sex education system to change it still hasn't been implemented yet but like now that kids in school are going to be learning about pornography and what is uh, safe and what's not and consent and all of those things Thanks so much for listening I'll be back again for another edition of Sure Was Better next Tuesday night on RT Radio 1 when we find out just how dangerous pineapple themed monuments were back in the 1950s Oh, the Crampton Memorial in College Street, the most unseemly monument probably in the world, has at long last had the decency to start demolishing itself. This horror has been described as, among other things, a decaying pineapple. What I hear in Mercer's Hospital, I'm at the bedside of the man the monument fell on. It's Tommy Derby of Clutter Road, Crumlin. Tell me exactly what happened. Well, I was inspecting manholes going to the Post and Telegraph in the College Green, and I was just sort of getting up after inspecting one, and I was standing on the side of the Patton Monument, and the next thing I felt was get knocked on the road or something hit me in the small of the bike. See you next week. That was Sure Twas Better, originated, presented and produced by Will Hanavan in the company of Pauline McGlynn, Jules Cole and Emer McLeisett.